You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So I was recently in um, a set of meetings. So my new role, I get to sit in uh, more meetings than any person should. Um, But in one of those meetings, I was sitting in with uh, actually our Foursquare, our denominational president, and we were talking about um, stewardship of finances and some stuff in the denomination. And so he starts this meeting and he starts talking about the end in mind. He says, you know, Stephen Covey says we have to start with the end in mind. And so I'm thinking we're going to talk about finances and stewardship and the goal of what we're trying to accomplish and all that kind of stuff. And he says, so will you do a favor? Will you turn with your, your, uh, your phones or your Bibles and turn to Revelations chapter 7? I'm like, what? We're going to talk about finances. What are you talking about? And he read this, Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. He says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a collective loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then he looked at us and he said, lest we ever forget our end is not the results of a meeting or the end and conclusion of a sermon or anything else. As the body of Christ, our end is always that we would maximize that moment. Revelations chapter 7 is what we intend to do that As many people as we know from every nation, every language, every tribe, every group of people would be gathered around that throne on that day because that's when it matters. That is always the end in mind. No matter whatever we're doing, that's our end in mind if we're Christians. And I'm just going to tell you, when he said that, I was like that little commercial... I've never heard anybody say that before, that all we do, the end is not the the growth of the church. The end is not that we get to a certain place. The end is not that all of our loved ones attend church with us or even it's that we get as many people to that moment in eternity as possible. So today, um, I want to kind of go there with you and kind of come to this. One of the things we see in Revelations, and Revelations is a revealing of who Christ is in his divinity. See, in heaven we see Christ's divinity. In the Gospels, so in Revelations, that's what it's describing. In the Gospels, they're describing Christ's humanity. And so we see who he was when he walked the earth. In Revelations, we see who he is when he's not on the earth. And so with that in mind, I want to go back to Matthew chapter 16. This is not our text. We are going to be all over the Bible today. I will tell you when we are to the text. Um, in Re- Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is traveling with his disciples one day, and he says, so who do people say I am? And they said, well, some of them say that you're Elijah, and some of them say that you're, Mo- you know, you're Moses. Some of them are saying that you're John the Baptist. Some of them are saying you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he says this, 
But who do you say I am? And it was at that moment we have one of these amazing uh, answers. Simon Peter, in one of his moments of brilliance, because they were spotty, we know that. Um, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he said, and, and Jesus says this to him. He says, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Messiah. Anciently, anyone who came to see the king had to be let in. And there were multiple barriers to seeing the king. There was an outer gate and there was an inner gate, there was a, a key to the house, and then sometimes there was even another area where he was locked and secured even in an inner area. But it was the servant's responsibility to carry the keys of the kingdom and to allow people entrance, access to the king. Revelations chapter 7. The keys of the kingdom. The question that we have here, and that this not posed in our text, is what are the keys of the kingdom? It doesn't say in this text, and actually you can search all day long, but it's not going to tell you in the Bible specifically what the keys of the kingdom were that he were referring to. And it's not even a really good context overall as to what they were if you look at the entire book, unfortunately. And so there's always been a little bit of a question, not controversy, but definitely question as to what are uh, these keys to the kingdom. So I want to take us now to our text. Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to read it for you. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship so I can boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there's tongues, they'll stop. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when we become complete, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. 
when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we'll see him face to face. For now I know part, then I shall know him fully, even as he is fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Would you pray for me just a second? Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the the rich and deep and hidden things in it. Lord, I'm mindful that your word says that it's the glory of you to hide the mysteries, but it's to the glory of us to discern them and to find them. Lord, today I pray that you'd help us to discover something in your word that we've not understood before and that it would transform our lives. We pray this today in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, I want to talk to you, not definitively, because I can't back it up as definitively. So I want to talk to you what is possibly three keys to the kingdom. Does anybody want to take a shot at what you think I'm going to talk about today? Faith, hope, and love. You guys are good. You haven't fallen asleep yet. That's awesome. I think that it is possible that these are keys to the kingdom. And I'm going to, in a sense, make a good case for it, but not so much just for the knowledge of it, but so that we capture the application of it and the, the, what it means, right? It's not just good to know something. This is not, I'm not trying to fill you up with information for your next trivia night. I want to give you something, right, that begins to create an understanding in us that helps us to live as Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 11, it says of faith, it says that faith is in, without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just thinking if it's impossible to please God otherwise, and he says this, this is how big faith is, that how important it is, for me, I'm just kind of thinking it's one of the keys, that's pretty important. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anybody here want to walk around not pleasing God? I don't think so. I think this is pretty critical. So I think I'm already in a really good place of saying this could potentially be one of the keys. But the, is what, what is the key and what does it do? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, and in Mark chapter 4, it recalls, it, 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 there's an analogy of faith to what? A mustard seed. Very good. It says it's what? It says it's the smallest of all the seeds, but it produces a fruit, right? An abundance, a harvest that's much bigger than any of the others. For me, I kind of think it's like this little key. I think it's the smallest of keys, but it does it has a big purpose, right? It doesn't take a lot, but it does unlock something. And so the question is, is what is it? I think that faith opens the outer gate to the divine. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How, if you're not even pleasing God, how are you ever going to find yourself with access to him? Right? It's, just the, it's the very outer thing. We have to have faith. So faith opens up the idea of the divine. We're in this place where we believe that God can. 
Faith says God can do it, right? And so this little key says we believe that God has the ability to do that. My little key of faith says that God is all-powerful. It says with him that all things are possible. It says that he can move mountains, he can rescue, he can take care of our financial provision, he can sell my house in a down market, he can protect, he can heal, he can do anything. That's what my key of faith says. He is able, period. And the crazy thing is, is this little key even says that when I can't see it, he's still working for my good, right? He's always working for good, faith. So then there's the second concept, right, of hope. How many of you remember, this is going to date me, a lot, and then some of you, if you agree, how many of you remember old Sears and Roebuck catalogs or J.C. Penney catalog, right? Well, I only remember it because I was a boy at the time. <laughs> Just saying. But the last third of that massive catalog was all games and toys and whatever. And when it was Christmas time, I would flip back there and I would turn down the corners of the pages and circle things on the pages. Why? Because I wanted my parents to find it. I would leave that thing all over the house, open to certain pages, you know, t- like as if they weren't going to see it. But the problem was I had so many things circled. It, was, it might as well have just been the whole catalog. <laughs> but there's a difference between wishing for something and hoping for something. See, wishing... Wishing says, um, it's, 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 you just want it to happen, right? But when we get to this place of hope, see, hope is a confident expectation. A wish is a temporal perspective, but a hope, hope has an eternal perspective. So there's a book that I read many years ago, probably at this point, it's probably pushing 25 years ago. It's called Passing the Night. It was written by a Brigadier General, Robbie Reisner. He was um, taken as a captive in the Vietnam War, and he was actually the highest ranking officer held in the Hanoi Hilton. And he writes this book of his multiple years, like six or seven years, he was held there, tortured, and kept captive there. And he says the difference between the people who made it out alive and those who died in captivity was hope. He says, basically, he says this. He says that the people who lost hope of rescue fell into despair and ultimately depression. And they ended up dying for one reason or another in there. But the people in there who held out hope Right? They believed that the United States knew they were there and intended to rescue them. And they believed that rescue attempts would come and that the U.S. would win and they would find their freedom. And that together, if they stuck together and trusted God, pretty much everybody in the Hanoi Hilton believed in God. If they trusted in God, they would get out. They kept their hope right? that people were coming for them. Not just that they could be rescued, but there was an, an intention to their rescue. And all of those people made it out alive. 
It's been said that you can live um, 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. We have to have hope. But see, hope is this thing, and I alluded to it, and I talked about it just a little bit a while ago, was this. Hope moves me from this thing of, I believe something can happen, that's faith, to the belief that it will happen. God does desire this for me, or he does desire to work through me, right? These are both products of hope. Hope moves it and makes it personal. So again, if if this second key, if this second key is another possible key of the kingdom, and if I think it is, I think it opens the door to the present and to the future. See, faith opens the door to the divine. Faith opens the door so we can bring the divine into the present. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have two keys, faith and hope. One opens the door to the divine. The other opens um, the door into the present. So how are they connected? Well, there's a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 11, um, verse 1 says that now that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. See, they are connected. And Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There's a very strong interconnectedness between these three aspects, these three potential keys. So let's talk about love. In the Bible, there are three Greek words for love. There are actually, in existence, four Greek words for love. And I want to talk to you about those. The first love, um, the, and, and, the, and the difference, I'll just tell you the difference. The difference in the four words is based on the relationship. The first word is eros. You probably, it's in the Bible. We've probably, many of us have heard of that. It is an um, it's a romantic love. It's the, it's the love in a romantic relationship between spouses or lovers. That's what it's used, it's context. The second one is the one that's not found in Scripture, and it's storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. It's like storage without the A, storge. And it is love in the context of a family relationship. So father to children or among siblings, it's that type of relationship. It's a, it's a love of that type of relationship. The third kind is in Scripture, and it's phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O. Phileo, and it's a brotherly love. It's the friendship love. It's the love that says, Lynn Wilson is my brother. Eddie Garcia is my brother, right? It's a brotherly love. It's a friendship love. It's a relationship. It's the love that flows in those types of things. And the fourth type is the one we, we talk about the most because it's the most used in Scripture, and it's agape. Agape is love in a relationship with God. Does that make sense? So the interesting thing is these are not levels of love. They're not even um, categories of love. Love is love. The words are intended to de- determine who the relationship 
is. Does it make sense? The use of the Greek is to signify the relationship that's being discussed. So if they say, I phileo you, they're saying, I, th- this, these people have a relationship of brotherhood, right? When he talks about agape, which is the one we see most commonly, everything is contingent upon your relationship with God. It's love that's expressed because you and God are in relationship with each other. Does that make sense? So that being the case, let me take you back to a portion of our text today with a newfound perspective. The word used in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is agape. So we're not talking about a brotherly love. We're not talking about a romantic love. And we're not talking about a family love. What we're talking about is this whole conversation is based and contingent upon a godly love. Your relationship with God and his relationship with you. Now let's read it. Love, agape, is patient. Agape is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape never fails. What is he saying here? He's saying, one, this is what it looks like between us and God. In this relationship, this is what the relationship looks like. See, God is always patient. God is always kind. In God's relationship with us, he does not dishonor us, right? He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. But the interesting thing is, is the application of what he's talking about here is he's talking about us. So the implication here is this. Because I have a love relationship with God, I'm not angry. I'm not impatient. I'm not dishonoring i'm not self-seeking it's not contingent upon my relationship with you see that would be saying phileo is not is 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 patient phileo is kind no what it's saying what he's saying here is he's saying because i have a relationship with god god and i are in love with each other we love each other he loves me i love him and because of that you benefit because of this I'm patient. Does that make sense? Because of this, I'm kind. Because of this, I don't dishonor. Because of this, I'm not self-seeking among you. Because of this relationship, right, I don't keep a record of your wrongs. Does that make sense? It's not because I love you that I'm not keeping a record of your wrongs. It's because he and I are so tight. I don't want to mess this up by keeping a record of your wrongs to me. Does that make sense? I believe. He says that love is the greatest, right? These three will remain the greatest of love. I think it would be a bigger key according to this context. It's a bigger key. 
I believe that it is a possible that this is a key of the kingdom. And if it does, the question is, is what does it do? I believe it opens the human heart. Because that's the toughest thing for us to do. It's easier for me to believe that God can do something. It's even a, it's a little harder, but still easy to believe that God will do it for you or someone. But the problem is, is this third piece, this third key. You have to go through all three doors, and this one opens the door. This one, if I believe right, that it opens the door of the human heart, then I have to do what? I have to stick it in the human heart and do something with it. This one forces me to action. This one forces me to take what I believe and what I hope to you. Love forces all of this out of the theory and into the practice. This is no longer a theology. It becomes a praxology. It becomes something that you and I have to do. It moves it all out of the theoretical. And the question is, is this, do I have faith in the divine? Yes. Do I have hope that he's willing to do it for you? Yes. Here's the question. Am I willing to take the third key and risk coming over to you and saying, I believe God wants to do something for you today. I believe that God has the power to heal you. Now, I want to pray for you. See, love moves us to action. Otherwise, we're not doing anything. My faith and my hope alone are nothing. I have to move it into action. And so all three keys have to work together. The problem is, is that I have to, I have to love agape so much that I don't worry about what it might look like to others. Right? I have to agape. This agape has to be so that I don't worry about if you think I'm weird. Even my wife does. It's okay. <laughs> this agape has to be so strong, right, that I don't, I'm not afraid to step out and to do and to say and to encourage and to just, just realize you need someone to speak to you today. And so I come expressing love because that's your greatest need today. Right? I come and I give you hope because that's your greatest need today. But for me to bring you hope, I have to, that's love. Do you see what I'm saying? The action of that is the love. So we have to keep using all three keys consistently. Let's look at some biblical examples. So Jesus, he didn't need, I, this is a theological quandary. Did Jesus really need faith or hope? I don't know. He knew he could do it, so how do you have faith in... I don't know if he had faith because he knew he could. I guess maybe he had faith in the Father, knew he would, and hope. But he certainly had the power, and he certainly had the, the love. And it was the love that we see most frequently. Why? Because he's constantly going to people, and he's constantly healing or bringing hope to their circumstances, right? He was constantly exercising that. He healed blinded eyes. He opened deaf ears. He traveled two days to raise the dead, 
He knew before he ever left there he was what he was going to do, right? But he, he, he was practicing love. His love is what made him take a two-day journey to raise someone up from the dead. His love caused him to uh, defend people who had done things wrong. He defended and did not condemn the adulterous woman, right, out of what? Love. He, he practiced that all the time. But let's look at people who are not Jesus, right? Because I kind of see things in, while I want to be Christ-like, I kind of know there's, there's Jesus and there's us, right? Let's look at some us's in the Bible. Acts chapter 2. Peter had the faith in the power of God and hope that other people would believe. But it was his agape, it was this relationship that he had in Christ, not courage, that led him to preach boldly to 3,000 people and see the kingdom of God like immediately explode in growth in Acts chapter 2. Right? It was his love that made him do the thing that he wasn't comfortable with. In Acts chapter 3, we see that Peter and John, that both of them, they had the power of the Holy Spirit residing in them, and they had the hope that this man would get healed. But it was their love, right, not um, their pity, that made them reach down to the guy at the gate beautiful and say, silver and gold have I none, but what do I have? What do they have? Faith. They had hope. That Jesus wanted to do it right then, and they had love. They took their love and they put it into action, right? And said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, rise and walk, right? That was the three keys. You see them operating right there. In Acts chapter 10, Peter had the faith that God wanted to redeem lives uh, and hoped that he would. And it wasn't social justice, it was actually agape working through him that when he went to Cornelius' house, see, for him to go to Cornelius' house was a group of people, right, that he wasn't supposed to associate with. He wasn't going on some missions trip to go to Cornelius' house. He was, it was, he had an, an agape relationship with God. And God said, I want you to go and talk to this guy. And he said, it's a Gentile. He's like, I know, right? Love moved him to it. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in a, a jail cell, right? They've been beaten. They're chained between people, and now they're they're singing in the middle of the night. Well, faith, they believe God can set them free. They must have had hope. Anybody who's been beaten and is chained in the middle of a jail cell at midnight is singing, has hope, right? You see that. But the interesting thing, it was love, not fear, that once the, the gates were opened, what did they do? Nothing. They didn't go anywhere. Why? If they had, the jailer would have been killed. But they stayed where they were. And it led him and his entire family to Christ. See, faith, hope, and love. We have to operate the three of those. Those three things are keys together. If we don't... But we have to see the need and then have to act. That's love is when we see it. There's a guy named Bill Wilson. He's in New York City. He literally ministers, get this, it's the largest ministry in New York City. He ministers to 100,000 kids every week. He has Sunday school seven days a week, and they bus kids in every day of the week from all across New York City. 
And he started it about 40 years ago, and he didn't even like kids. <laughs> I'm serious. But one day he saw this need, and he would say, I heard him say it one time, he said, to see the need is to hear the call. See, there was something in him that he saw. He knew God loved those kids, and he knew they needed hope. But it was love that moved him to a group of people. He didn't, I mean, he didn't even like kids, Right? But yet love moved him to take actions to help. And what started out with a small group of people now is 100,000 people every week that they're ministering to. We have to move and take these keys out of this idea of, well, the Bible says of faith and hope and love. Let's move it out of that, right? Let's move it out of our head knowledge and need it out of our heart knowledge and move it into our action. Move it from our theology to what they call our praxology. It's from our, to our practice. So this last fall, we were doing, uh, studying uh, the book of Revelations here. Our men's Bible study meets on Wednesdays here. And this fall, we finished up before Christmas, actually before the end of the year, we finished up uh, the book of Revelations. But when we were in there, when we got to chapter 3, it's the place where he talks uh, to the, the church of um, Laodicea, and he says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, and I would spew you up. And we had this question: How do we know what our temperature is? I mean, how do I know if I'm if I'm hot, or I'm cold, or I'm lukewarm? And it's interesting that our conversation kind of came to this. We actually shifted our conversations on how do I know to how to these types of questions. And it's more like: Can we really be hot if we have faith and hope, but we don't exercise love? Can I believe in that God will and that God wants to? But can, am I really a hot for Christ? Is my relationship in that category if I'm not willing to, to do anything about it? Can we really be hot if we aren't expressing faith through love? Can we really be hot if our love for God isn't enough to move us into action? Interesting thing, um, Dave Wolf came up to me this morning. <laughs> Are you preaching? <laughs> yes, I am. He actually stayed, which was awesome. <laughs> he says, "What are you What are you preaching on?" And um, I really didn't like tell him at first, but I said, "I'm talking on keys of the kingdom, faith, hope, and love." And he said, "The Lord's been talking to me about love, and I really need to share this with you." And um, as I listened to him, he would really have no idea. In fact, I even was talking with, came up and talk, was talking with he and Jane, and he didn't. And Jane was like shocked that I even said that we were talking about love today, because of what God's been showing Dave. So actually, the Lord shared something with Dave this morning, and that's why he was sharing it with me because he really believes it's for us. And I, knowing what the sermon was and where I'm going, I don't just believe it is. I know it is. The gist of it is this. The Lord reminded Dave to bring him to a question, and the question is really the same for us. He reminded Dave of a time when he and Jane were dating. Before they were married, right? Before they were married. And it was a time in Toledo, Ohio, where to get to Jane, 
he, there were, he couldn't get friends because of the snow and the blizzards and all this kind of stuff, but he did find out the buses were still running. So he literally took a bus from one side of the city to the other as far as it would go until they said, this is it, we're done. And he got off in the snow where the buses won't go anymore and no friends will take him. And he hitchhiked the rest of the way because he was so in love with Jane. And this is what the Lord asked him. Do you love me as much as you do her? See, the story is critical in that because it gives us an, ex- an example to the extent that we will go when we love. See, love isn't about us. The Bible is not a me book. The Bible is a he book and a we book. And the problem is, is so often we're so consumed and focused with ourselves that we may believe that God can and may believe that God wants to. But we're not willing to lay down self and express love in a way that has action behind it. Because that's the only way we get it to impact other people. And if we believe that the end in mind that we have is that the God of agape wants to have a relationship of agape with each of us, such that at Revelations chapter 7, moment in eternity, that we would all simultaneously find ourselves around the same throne, Shouting praises to the same God. How do we get there? It's not just in our beliefs and it's not just in our hope, our faith and our hope, but it is in our actions. We have to be willing to take action with others. Is this making any sense? So what are you saying, Pastor Paul? I'm saying that I feel like God has given us the keys to the kingdom, right? And he told Peter that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is he saying? It's up to you. What are you going to do with it? Jan, would you come just play something lightly, anything? Um. The interesting thing about this Sunday is uh, when Pastor Sam said, would you like to fill in for me? My question was, okay, what are, you know, what's, what are we preaching on? He says, it's wide open. I want you to preach on whatever you sense is most timely and critical for us as a congregation. What an open door that he would give. I believe where we are as a congregation is at the door of something amazing in our community. See, I believe that God wants to move through us as a congregation 
to impact this community in ways that Statesville hasn't seen. And you say, well, just look, there's, there's not a lot of us. It doesn't take a lot. It really doesn't take a lot. What it does take, though, is for us to decide what are we going to bind and loose. Are we going to do anything with what we've been handed? Or are we comfortable just coming on Sundays and worshiping? We've really got to decide that. We have been for a long time like the children of Israel. We have marched and camped over here and we marched and we camped over here and we marched and we camped over here. I believe with all my heart God has brought us to the place where we are supposed to dwell. And now it is up to us as it was to the children of Israel. Are you going to allow what's in the land to stay there or are you going to push it out I really believe that we are supposed to expand God's kingdom and his territory as much as his covenant people were the thing is is we don't have to kick our neighbors off our cul-de-sac to do it like they did what we have to do is we have to embrace our neighbors in our cul-de-sac in the ways that Christ did and he's already given us the keys. The question is, is will we do it? We are at a point of decision as a body of believers. I believe that with all my heart. Will we live in God's best and what he intends? And there's no condemnation in that at all. It's an open-ended blessing is the crazy thing. See, when God says... I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and anything you do will be done. That's an open-ended promise. Now, as much as many of you would like an open-ended promise from me on certain things, you have an open-ended promise from God as it relates to what we do. We simply have to risk our discomfort. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever, we're going to do some hand raising here. How many of you have ever, you've ever prayed with somebody that you didn't know? Was it awkward a little bit? Right? But when you, once you're done, then what? It was just like this God is awesome kind of moment, right? How many of you have seen God answer prayer to, with people you didn't know? And in those moments, right, it's the kingdom of God that's advancing. He's inviting us and empowering us. And today I'm hoping to inspire us that we would live our lives this way. And that because of it, people that we know would come to know Christ. And that their lives would be transformed, not just spiritually, but I believe their lives would be transformed when their relationships and their physical, maybe they've got, they have physical needs, their finances, all of those things because of God's intervention. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning.
Would you bow your heads? This morning, if you've heard something very different and seen something in a very different way, and it, and in you, you know that the Lord is is trying to show you something. If that's you this morning, just so I know who I'm praying for, would you raise your hand and then put it right back down? Thank you. Wow. Thank you. I want to pray for us this morning, and I'm going to bless us too so we, that we go. But I believe this is a great day for our body. God's allowing us to see something that he wants to do. And he's simply saying, I'll do it through you if you'll let me. Father, I thank you for, Lord, first off, for the privilege of being a part of this church family. God, we have storgy and phileo relationships in this room. But interestingly enough, it's our agape relationships that are the most significant. Because of our relationship with you, we have relationship with each other. And so God, for these that I love and have become a part of my family, the body of Christ, God, I pray that you would use us. God, I tell you, you take the things that we've tried to express today. God, that you would move us from places of belief and faith to places of hope and places of love. God, I pray that you would help us to be your hands, be your feet. God, that you'd give us opportunities to share your love, to hold someone who's grieving, or to pray with someone in need. God, to maybe even that we would meet some needs. God, whatever you would express, God, that we would move in action because of our love for you. God, today I pray your blessings over this congregation. God, I pray that you would go with us in your favor and in your might. God, that your presence would go with us. We pray this today in Christ's name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.